Oh, there was a mouse who looked through a crack in the wall to see the farmer and his wife opening a package. Oh, I wonder what food it might contain. She opened it and was aghast to find out it contained a mousetrap. Running out into the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed the warning. There's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. The chicken clucked, scratched, and raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I can tell you this is a grave concern to you, but it is of no concern to me. I can't be bothered. Oh, the mouse turned to the pig and told him, there's a mouse trap in the house. Oh, I'm so very sorry, Mr. Mouse, sympathized the pig. But there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can think of. Surely someone else will step in to help. So the mouse turned to the cow. And the, mouse, the cow replied, like, wow, Mr. Mouse, a mouse trap, huh? Am I in grave danger, duh? Oh, the mouse returned to the house, head down, dejected, to face the farmer's mouse trap alone. It was a very, that very night, a sound was heard throughout the house, like the sound, boom! of a mousetrap catching its prey. Well, the farmer's wife, she'd been listening, and she heard it, and she rushed to see what was caught. Well, in the darkness, she didn't see what was in the mousetrap, but you know what it was? A venomous snake! It had been caught by the tail and had been caught there in the trap. Well, the wife, not seeing that, reached down into the trap, and the snake bit the farmer's wife. Well, The farmer's wife, or the farmer, rushed her to the hospital. And they treated her as best they could, and she returned home with a bit of a fever. Now, everyone knows you treat a fever with what? Fresh chicken soup. So the farmer took his hatchet to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient. Well, his wife's sickness continued. So the friends and neighbors, they came to sit with her around the clock to comfort her. Well, to feed them, the farmer butchered the pig. Well, the farmer's wife didn't get any better. In fact, she died. Well, so many people came for her funeral, the farmer had the cow slaughtered to provide meat for all of them to eat. What do you think the punchline is? The next time you hear that someone is facing a problem and think that it doesn't concern you, Remember that when the least of us is threatened, we are all at risk. Our second lesson that Barb read for us today from Philippians 2 goes on 18 verses. And it's talking about this very thing of how we need each other and how we are to use and care for one another. And we'll be talking about that as we proceed today. G.K. Kesterson, uh, English writer, creator of the priest detective Father Brown. You ever watch that on PBS? Kind of fun English-British show. Well, he's the creator of that. Well, he said back at the turn of the last century, this, all people matter. You matter. I matter. And he concluded, it's the hardest thing in theology to believe. Pretty current thought, isn't it? And he's right, actually, isn't he? You see, caring for, which is what the whole Philippians chapter 2 
is talking about today. Looking out for the other guy. It's not very easy to do. We're supposed to do it, but man, it's not easy. In fact, some folks make it downright hard to love them. You know who I'm talking about? Quite a few folks like that, aren't there? They act like such jerks. But love we must. You see, love is not simply this warm, fuzzy feeling you get inside. I mean, that's, that's nice if you have the feeling, but that's not the core definition of love. Love is, first of all, it's an attitude. It is an action. It's what you do. It's a choice. It's what you choose to do. Well, you know, thankfully, God doesn't select us to be part of his family based upon what we do or say or think. Woo! Because if he did, where would we be? Serious trouble, right? Eternal, damnable trouble, because that's what sin does. And what did we just say at the beginning of the service? I, a poor, miserable sinner. Okay, I'm a sinner. And what does sin do? Separates holiness from unholiness. Well, guess who's holy and guess who is not? We're sinners, separated from a holy God. But thankfully, God's love for us is based on him, not us. It's kind of a contrast from how we've been led to believe in our current culture, isn't it? That it's all about me. No, it's not. You see, the text, or a text says this. In, uh, in this act, from John, 1 John 4, in this act, we see what real love is. It's not our love for God, but his love for us when he sent his son to satisfy God's anger against our sins. That's what we come to celebrate week after week, isn't it? That's why you're here this morning to recognize and say, thank you, Lord, for that gift. That we are restored to God's good favor, not by our love for God. God, boy, you are so blessed to have me in your family, in your team. You are a blessed person. You are a blessed God. No, no, no. But it's the love of God for us in sending Christ to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he loves and provides in spite of who we are and what we do. We're going to heaven someday. Yeah, why? Because of what Jesus did for us on that Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. Thank God, literally, thank God, for accepting you and me as his family members. And in turn, when you kind of play that thought out, doesn't it make sense that we should at least respond to other folks, if they're in the family of God too, with the same kind of acceptance and love that God's given us? We kind of say, well, yeah. In fact, that's exactly what he's talking about in our Philippians 2 section, those first 18 verses. We're commanded by God to do as his children. And then, again, this verse, 1 John 4, 10, uh, says this, Jesus commanded to love. And you know how many times that word love one another is used, that phrase? 27 times. 27 times. You think he's making a point here? I guess so. So we ask the question, how is it possible to love one another? How is it possible to love those who aren't lovable? How is it possible to love those who don't like you? How is it possible to love those who don't want to be loved? And yeah, there are folks like that. Well, there's actually only one way through Christ who lives in you. You haven't got the strength, energy, and courage to do it alone. Through Christ who lives in you. We love because he first loved us. You heard about the carpenter, didn't you? There was once a carpenter who didn't overcharge for his work. Wow. And 
The doctor? There was a physician who healed the sick for free. No Medicare. Once there was a man who fed people at no charge. And you know what they did with him? Yeah, they crucified him. So, yeah, there's going to be times in your lives, my friend and mine, as Christ followers, that you'll feel unappreciated and, and maybe taken for granted. And you'll not feel loved as you think you should be. And when that happens, see, not whether it happens, but when it happens, how are you going to respond? These are questions you kind of have to ask ourselves in preparation for life. Well, my encouragement is you take the high road and love others anyway. And of course, the question, okay, I get it, but how do you do that? Again, through Christ who lives in me, in me, in me, in me. That means he's got to be in me in order for something to come out of me. We love because he first loved us. Okay, here's the big idea for the morning. Because God is love and because God has loved us, we have an abundance of God's love in us to give away. I don't know if you've thought about that way. But if God is in you, and he's way more than I am alone, I've got an overflow abundance of love to give away. And when we do that, that give away stuff, we prove we belong to God. And then because we do, we can, along with St. Paul, boldly proclaim in Philippians 4, I can do how many things? All things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the main punchline. You can make a difference in life. You are a life changer. We would call them influencers today on the internet. But you're a life changer when Christ lives in you and overflows out of you. I'll tell you a story about a businessman. He's growing old. I know that happens. Some of you have done that too, growing a little older. And, and he knew it was time to choose a successor to take over the business. And how best to do that? He'd spent his life building this business, and it was successful. And instead of choosing one of his directors or his children, hmm, he decided to do something different. So he called all the young executives in this company together. He said, hey, fellas, sit down. Takes them in the conference room. He said, it's time for me to step down and choose the next CEO. Well, he had their attention. He said, I've decided to choose one of you, as he looked around the room. Well, these young executives were shocked. These men and women who have been trained within the company, these young executives, uh, were shocked at what he was saying. Us? But the boss continued, I'm not done. And here's how I'm going to do it. He had a plan, an exit plan, if you will. He said, I'm going to give each of you today a seed, one seed. And it's one very special seed. And what I want you to do is, you take it home, I want you to plant the seed, I want you to water it, and then come back here one year from today, one year from today, back here, and bring with you what you've grown from that seed that I've given you. I'll judge then the plants that you bring, and the one who I choose will be the next CEO. They kind of looked around and said, well, that's weird. But they said, okay. So off they went. Well, one of those young execs was a guy named Jim. 
And he was there that day, and like the others, he received his seed and looks at that. It looks like an ordinary seed. seed. So he went home. He was all excited. Told his wife, hey, guess what? I'm going to be the next CEO. And holds up a seed. She looks at him, but okay. Well, she helped him get a pot and a soil and compost, and, and he planted the seed. And every day he would look at it, water it, watch to see if any growth. After about three weeks, some of the other executives began to talk about their seeds and the plants that were beginning to grow. Hmm, Jim kept checking his seed. Nothing. Nothing was happening. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. He's going, this isn't looking good. And by now, the others were talking about their plants. But Jim, he didn't have a plant, and he felt like a failure. Six months, still nothing in Jim's pot. He shook his head and said, well, there goes my chance at CEO. Everyone else had trees and tall plants. They were talking about it. He had nothing. He didn't say anything to his colleagues about his failure in his own mind. However, he continued to water and fertilize the soil. He so wanted that seed to grow. Okay, a year later, and all the young executives of the company brought their plants to the CEO for the inspection there in the council room that day. Well, Jim told his wife that morning, I don't think I can go today. I just, I just can't. I'm not going to take an empty pot. And she said, Jim, I want you to be honest about what happened. I can't, he said. I felt sick to his, he felt sick to his stomach. It's going to be the most embarrassing moment of my life. I can't do it. Well, I said, Jim, go tell the truth. Well, as wives often are, he was right. After all, she said, aren't you a follower of Christ? Christian? And as a follower of Christ, doesn't he want you to do the godly thing, even if it means not getting that job you so desperately want? Okay. So he took his empty pot to the boardroom, and when Jim arrived, he was amazed at the variety of plants, looked around, going, man, that's impressive. They're so beautiful, shapes and sizes. And he put his empty pot on the floor beside him, and many of his colleagues kind of looked over and go, a few of them felt sorry for him. CEO comes into the room, and he surveyed the room and greeted his young executives, and Jim kind of scrunched down, trying to hide in the back. My, what great plants and trees and flowers you have grown, said the CEO. And today, just as I promised, one of you is going to be the next CEO in our company. And as he looked around, all of a sudden he spotted Jim at the back of the room with his empty pot. Finance director, go bring that man up to the front. Oh, Jim goes, oh, no. CEO knows I'm a failure. Maybe he'll have me fired. Maybe he's going to march me out the door with my, my stuff in my cardboard box. Well, when Jim got to the front, the CEO asked him, what happened to your seed? Jim took a deep breath. And he told him the story, the whole story, the true story. Well, the CEO asked everyone to sit down except Jim. And he looked at Jim and announced to the young executives there behold, before him, he said, behold your next CEO. Their eyes got big, their mouths hung open. What? His name is Jim. He couldn't even grow a seed. How could he be the new CEO, they were thinking and saying among themselves. And then the CEO explained why 
the choice was made. He said, you know, one year ago, I gave each of you in this room a seed, remember? And I told you to take that seed, plant it, water it, bring it back to me today. And you did. But what you didn't know is, I gave all of you boiled seeds, boiled seeds. They were all dead. They'd been killed. It was impossible for any seed to grow. Couldn't happen. Oh, all of you except Jim have brought me trees and plants and flowers. And when you found that the seed wouldn't grow because none of them would, you substituted another seed for the one I gave you. Jim was the only one with the courage and honesty to bring me a pot with my seed in it. Therefore, because of his honesty and his integrity, he's the one who will be the new chief executive officer of this company. Kind of indicting, isn't it? What does that mean for you and me? Well, think about some of the ramifications of the choices you make and the choices I make. At that whole section of Philippians 2, it just goes one after another after another. It's saying, in essence, if you plant honesty, more likely to, to reap trust. If you plant goodness, you're much more likely to gain a friend. If you plant humility, you're actually much more likely to reap greatness. And if you plant that perseverance, you'll probably reap some contentment. If you plant consideration, in all likelihood, you'll reap a better perspective. And if you plant hard work, very often you'll reap success. And if you plant forgiveness, you'll reap reconciliation. Punchline, be careful what you plant now because it's going to determine what you will reap later. Well, we've said it many, many times, and we'll continue to do so, my friends. God has given each of us unique and abilities and blessings. Each of us here this morning have something that God has given us, different, but all from God. We may not be able to change those gifts and abilities. We may want to, oh, I wish I could do da, 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 da. But by golly, we can use whatever we do have, whatever we've been given to the best of our ability and to God's glory. So my parting prayer for each of us this day is, as the psalmist wrote thousands of years ago, Lord, guide me with your laws so that I will not be overcome by evil. In other words, hang in there. Use the gifts you have. Be that overflowing of Christ's love in you. You got extra to give, give it. Amen.